Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. You can learn more about them online at pearlriverresort.com. Seaspire text line is open. You want to chat? We'd love to hear from you. 601 879 4395. Give your business the edge. With Gigabit Fiber Internet from Ceasefire Business, it's backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Ceasefire Country. Learn more online at ceasefire.com slash business. Alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Thanks for being with us. The day after we crowned a national champion in college baseball, New Year. Uh, well, I guess New Year. I guess it's always a new year when you start a new season. Um, but a familiar champion, seventh time in school history that LSU has won the national championship. And so Amanda from Pike County leads us off on the C Spire text line with a big old hearty G-E-A-U-X, go Tigers. That is from Amanda. Uh, she said there are no sad tiggers today, uh, so no gifts coming from Amanda. Just happiness from Amanda in Pike County. Congrats to you, Amanda. Know that was uh, a fun night. And uh, th- those of us here in the state of Mississippi who have had the opportunity to uh, share in the joy of a national championship over the last couple of seasons know it had been a long, dry spell uh, for those of you who identify as Bayou Bengals. And so uh, welcome to the to the national championship scene in baseball. Glad, glad you could join us. It's the best I can do. I, I, I'm going to upset Amanda oh, it's here. It's the best I can do. And it was the lead on the notes, and I'm going to upset her. But um, th- there are there are people that truly think that the good Lord intervenes in their athletic competition. Ask the good folks over at Auburn. Um, last night was yet again proof that God does not care about wins and losses on the athletic fields because LSU has yet won another national championship if he cared that wouldn't happen but he doesn't he's got more important things to deal with i imagine up there so yeah it's probably a pretty good reminder to all of us uh maybe maybe 
Uh, I'm for, kidding. For, for lots of things. For lots of things. Good to be with you this afternoon. I love this message on the C Spire text line. No name attached to it. Heck yeah. Been waiting on this show all day. Lucas in Union says, if you would have told me LSU would win the best of three series against Florida without Paul Skeen's pitching, I would have told you nonsense. I heard uh, I heard Ben McDonald say the exact same thing on the radio. He said, if two weeks ago or two months ago I had told you LSU is going to win the national championship, and in the championship series that goes three games, Paul Skeens will not step on the mound, and yet LSU will get the trophy. Um, he said, you, you would have thought I was crazy. And, and he's right. We would have thought he was crazy. That was not the recipe for LSU winning a national championship at all. It's kind of that's kind of the story today, right? It is and I know everybody's caught up in, and maybe we'll get to it later. Maybe we won't. But that that LSU kind of yankeed their way into winning this championship. That they bought this national championship, and in some cases, you're right. They paid for Paul Skeens. They paid for Tommy Tanks. Those were vital players uh, to their run. But uh, also, a really good coaching job happened. And, and I know some people will kind of ignore that and. LSU, for the entire season, really, had a serious bullpen problem. They they were bad. I mean, we talked about it every week. It's, man, after Skeens, what do they have? It's nothing. They got nothing. And so they better win the Skeens game or else. And that became, they don't even need Skeens. And they win a three-game series without him against an objectively great Florida team. It wasn't just that the title was bought and paid for. That team peaked at the exact right time and got a bunch of contributions from a bunch of guys that weren't worth a dang all season long, really. You know, I don't know if it's because I'm a Yankees fan that I'm a little sensitive to the whole <laughs> bought a championship thing. I mean, hey, Dad, come on. You're, you're a fan of a big market team, too, that spends a lot of money. The San Francisco Giants spend a lot of money. They do. Yeah, they did not really when they were winning the championships, though. Well, and maybe there's a lesson there. But I guess the point that I was going to make, and this is like you can laugh at me as a Yankees fan, spending a lot of money does not necessarily mean you win a title. You, you still have to go out and you've got to have chemistry and you've got to have good health and you've got to have guys step up in whatever role they are asked to step up in. And you got to get it done, and LSU just plain got it done. They took the hard route to winning it all because they lost to Wake Forest, and then they had, what, three straight elimination games? And then they lost the second game in, like, lopsided fashion, only to come back. Borky, it, it's funny, though. You were talking about the whole transfer, bought and paid for, et cetera thing, and you mentioned Paul Skeens. And you mentioned Tommy White because those are the two most high-profile guys. But you didn't mention the guy that was the starting pitcher last night who also was a transfer portal player, Thatcher Hurd, coming over from UCLA. And because LSU scored 18 runs last night on 24 hits, setting a College World Series record, it's like nobody even looks at the fact that Thatcher Hurd was really good. He gave up two earned runs in the first inning. And then he didn't give up another one. Six innings, two hits, two earned runs, couple of walks, seven strikeouts. Thatcher Hurd was really, really good. They warmed Paul Skeens up at the end. We thought we were going to see him. Thought it was going to just be like a 
like cherry on the top, go out and throw a hundred for nine pitches, and they get to celebrate, and then somebody was like, "Nope, no, 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 there's no need to do this. Just shut him down." That was the equivalent of a bullpen that he threw out there on three days rest, which is what he would do in a normal week. No reason to put Paul Skeens on the mound. Did you want Paul Skeens to pitch at the end of that game? At that point, I thought it would have been a stupid decision. Which is weird because all day yesterday, I'm like, oh, you got to pitch him. But when you're winning by that much, what's the point? Yeah. There's really no point. For novelty, nah. And, and you won and the, the game. And, and I know he didn't pitch in the final game. You know, he doesn't get to like walk off as the victor in the final game. They don't win that national championship without Paul Skeens with what he did in the regular season, but also what he did in Omaha. I mean, they had to have from him in Omaha what they got from him. Ooh. And they didn't. Something just broke, didn't it? Uh, not broke. I just I am shocked by this number. So, um, for for those that say that the sport is ruined and all that stuff, uh, you holy cow! Yeah, you're seeing it now. Three point four two million people watched that blowout last night. That is gigantic. Top that, that is, broadcast of the day on television yesterday, on either broadcast television or cable television. There was nothing on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, FS1, USA Network, the Weather Channel, anything that drew more viewers than last night's baseball national championship game on ESPN. Hey, and, and I actually have a question for you. I was looking at the ratings earlier. So game one did almost $2.6 million. Uh, Dollars, 2.6 million viewers on Saturday night. Game two was the lowest viewed game of the three. Go figure. It was played on ESPN on Sunday afternoon and did almost 2.2 million. And then last night, 3,428,000 viewers for game three of the College World Series. So I have two questions. Number one, why is the Sunday game an afternoon game? Why, why not play that at night? J- just moving the start time by four hours or five hours is the difference in a half a million viewers. You know, another five hundred thousand. All we viewers. ever do is talk about. All we ever do is on the World Series is talk about why can't they play these games a little earlier? Why do they got to start at eight o'clock at night? And now we get to college baseball. Why can't it start later? Who cares if you want to watch the game? You know what time it's on. Yeah, but for maximum exposure for a sport that needs it because it's not getting help from the worldwide leader, uh, the fact that they can they can schedule it this way, and two of these three games were blowouts, early, early mm-hmm. blowouts. That leads to a dramatic drop. I mean, th- this is big time, man. And so this is what I point to. Anytime you see, well, oh, interest is waning. Well, then why are more people watching? Oh, nobody was interested last night. It's, it's unfair, all this stuff. Three and a half million people? That is that is the equivalent to Old Miss Kentucky football last year. At eleven AM on ESPN coming directly out of college game day. In week five of the season. So yeah, that's a big number. And then my second question is why do you not play Sunday afternoon's game on ABC? I have no idea what was on ABC at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. But my guess is it could have been moved. You, you could you could put that game on ABC. You could have put last night's game on ABC, and the audience would be bigger. But you didn't. 
So we'll talk a little bit more about that game last night and also maybe try to kind of put a bow on the college baseball season. We'll do that when we come back with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Here comes more Sports Talk Mississippi. You ready, guys? On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon, the 27th of June. Thanks for being with us. Next week is 4th of July week. And uh, then we got one more week, and then we've got SEC Media Days. So if you're ready for football, it'll be here before you know it. Uh, Let's see, on the countdown today, we have made it to team number 67, and that is to the first... That's the first full Saturday of the college football season. The first full Saturday. So we're actually only 60 days away yep. from week zero with uh, with some games. That's going to get a smile out of Brian Haydad. I think. I think. That'll get a smile from him. We, we get to see Notre yeah. Dame in Dublin and Vanderbilt that day? Yeah. Let, we, we should have started the countdown seven days before we did. Hey, Dad, are you thinking about road tripping to Nashville on week zero so you can watch some college football in person, get a little Vandy and hobby? Probably not. No, I I don't know that I'll do that. I'll just stay home and watch those games from the comfort of my own home, fire up my grill, and and go from there. It'll it'll probably be slightly less warm inside your living room than it will be in Nashville on August. If I was going to road trip, I, I would try to figure out a way to get to Ireland, you know? Well, yeah, it's a good point. Huh. It'd be hard to drive your red rocket all the way to Dublin, though. I could drive it to the airport, though. You could. And you red, absolutely could. Her name is Red Sonia. All right, let's get let's get that straight. Yeah, well, you, you call it whatever you want to. I'll call it what I want to. That's huh. all. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, a, have some respect. Are you a name your your vehicle kind of guy? I just told you the car's name is Red Sonia, so yes, obviously I am. H- how long has uh, has she had a name? And, and why did you pick um, had, a female name instead of a uh, a male name? Well, I well, I mean, Red Sonia just worked for me, and mm-hmm. uh, how long have I had the car uh, since two thousand and thirteen? So not or two thousand fourteen. So yeah, around around that time. Did you get that car new? No. What year model is it? Two thousand ten. I hear you. So, so, so Red Sonia is almost fourteen years old, and mm-hmm. uh, and she's been yours for almost a decade. Yeah. Are are you a, a drive it, January? Are you a drive it till the wheels fall off kind of guy? Until the engine falls out of it, it was when when I'll get a new car. <laughs> so, so if the wheels fall off, you'll put a new, you'll put new wheels on it. But if the engine you put new just, wheels on, that's not an issue. The engine, it feels like if it's if it rots out the bottom, I might need a new car at that point. And and you could have gone the uh, the new to you vehicle route not very long ago because your wife got a new one, and so you could have taken over hers and left yours mm-hmm. for. One of your daughters to no, drive in the relatively near future, uh, and you said, "No, I love mine. I like my car. 
And my daughter will be getting her. She's supposed to get her driver's license on uh, July third. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Is this is this an exciting day for you? Because that means your days of dropping kids off at school will well, no longer happen. We'll see how it goes. We'll okay. see how it goes. How how much um, how much training has happened? Plenty. Okay. Yeah, she she can drive around. She can get she can get you up and down Highway 12. No problem. I got you. What have we'll you? We'll see how it goes. I, I'm sorry. I'm really fascinated by this because I'm going to be there in a few years. Have, have you have you given much thought to what the rules are going to be right out of the gate, or is it just going to be congratulations? You got a license. Go get them, kid. Like toss to the keys and say. I'm, yeah, obviously there'll be some some rules in place, you know. I mean, I I, with her, I don't expect her to be like I'm staying out till two in the morning anyway. So, okay, very good, very very good. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can be part of the conversation on the uh, ceasefire text line at six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Borky, you had a little more context for the viewing numbers for last night's championship game. Yeah, game three so of, that did almost three and a half million. It actually beat. Uh, old, actually beat Ole Miss in Kentucky, but are you ready for some of the... So I just uh, look at a random week. Here's week seven. All right, that, hold, on, hold on. So so, so Ole Miss-Kentucky was roughly 2.8 million, and last night was a little over 3.4. So how about uh, an LSU-Florida matchup? How does that sound? So LSU-Florida in football, week seven, Saturday, October 15th, at 7 o'clock Eastern, on ESPN, 2.46 million people. Okay, that that number surprises me. It surprises me too. But that is the same uh that's the same weekend that Alabama played Tennessee and Clemson Florida State was also that night. And so maybe yeah, that Yeah, but Alabama Tennessee was the 2:30 game. That that ended in time for kickoff of uh of Florida and LSU. Hey dad, I know you don't necessarily get super caught up and off in the weeds on like viewership numbers. But does 800,000 people more for that baseball game last night on a Monday night, surprise you in comparison to LSU Florida football on ESPN on a Saturday night? A little surprising for sure, but at the same time, on a college football Saturday, there's so many options. I mean, I'd have to know what was the ABC game that night and, and things of that nature. Was there another big game that, that I'm that I'm not familiar with? And versus last night, I mean, unless you're watching Monday Night Raw, what were you watching for sports last night? So, yeah. But still, I mean, for college baseball to, to do that, that, that oh, is a great number. A, it's a great number. No question about that. And that's why I push back so much on the, the, the interest is waning stuff. Because we hear that a lot. And, you know, maybe there's merit to it. Maybe the people that are saying that are going to end up showing up in, in stuff like this eventually. But when people say things like, well, the, the, College baseball is ruined. LSU is a perfect example of, of why college baseball is ruined and, and it's all, what are the, people say, jump the shark and, and all that stuff. College baseball, by the way, forever has been imbalanced. The, the, the design of the sport has been imbalanced. LSU has always been able to offer more in scholarship money than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That's always been the case. There has not been equality in college baseball in perpetuity. But when people say... Competitive balance is gone, and all that all that rhetoric all the time, and I'm losing interest. Well, the, the television numbers tell you you're not, number one. But number two, you say that after we had a sports calendar where TCU made the national championship game in football a year after Cincinnati made the Final Four, if you want to call it that, by the way. 
But TCU played for a national championship in football. Florida Atlantic made the Final Four in basketball, and San Diego State made the national championship game. And in baseball, Oral Roberts made the College World Series. In Wake Forest, for two full games, was one swing of the bat away from playing for a national championship themselves. We had a College World Series that had the most one-run games ever. It was as competitive as it's been, and yes, I know that LSU was the winner eventually, and they paid the most, and that bothers people. I understand that, because not everybody can build a roster the way that LSU did. But when you say that college sports is ruined, what about the actual games and the results on the field tell you that that is the case? I'm kind of mind-blown by the reaction today when Oral Roberts makes it and Wake Forest was a swing of the bat away from beating that juggernaut LSU team. How did what happened on the field in football, basketball, or baseball tell you that it has been ruined? Are, are there adjustments that need to be made? Absolutely. It's not perfect. College sports are not perfect. Things need to be adjusted and reined in and rules need to be put in place. I, I, all that's true. But when you say ruined, how did you watch what happened and come away with, this isn't fun? I don't enjoy watching this. I can't wrap my mind around that. Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't really make sense. Doesn't make sense. We get a couple of questions on the uh, ceasefire text line. Who was the College World Series MVP? Uh, it was Paul Skeens. Eh, I mean, okay. Every all College World Series team player was Florida or Tennessee. How do you not have anybody from Wake Forest? I'm sorry, Florida or LSU? Yes. I mean, and Skeens, I just have trouble saying that he's the MVP and he didn't participate in the championship series. Yeah. I mean, four saves for Riley Cooper. Yeah. Kind of feels yeah. like there's an argument to uh, to be made there. Yeah. Wait, but, so the Wake Forest pitcher that shut down that LSU lineup? No, he did you? not make the all-tournament team. Okay. Everybody on the all-tournament team was either from LSU or Florida. Every one of them. Uh, David in Indianola, how did the shot count go at the bar in Omaha? 68,888. That is roughly 50,000 more shots, jello shots, than were bought by Ole Miss fans last year. I get I guess I shouldn't be too, you know, because it does all that money does go to it, or some of that money does go to a charity. So congratulations! I don't know if you guys saw their charity of choice. Our Lady of the Lake Hospital in Baton Rouge <laughs> is getting that money, and their food bank. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how how it works. So. Uh, Wait, hold on! You're not joking? No, I am joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Here's more. Super Talk Mississippi.
Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. So LSU wins a national championship last night in baseball. The college baseball season comes to an end. Uh, there was very much a that's baseball. Thank you, Ron Polk. Element to this series. You have a four to three, eleven inning game. That is, thank you, thank you, Brian Haydad for the uh, the statue on the. Whenever we bring up his name, he's right there. Television feed. Uh, good to know. Um, so so uh, that's baseball element to this series because nothing else makes sense other than just yeah that's baseball. Four to three, walk off, bottom of the eleventh, game one. The team that lost game one turns around and wins game two, twenty-four to four. The team that got beat by twenty but had the walk-off win in game one turns around and wins the final, eighteen to four. The team that won game two, Florida, scoring twenty-four runs, had twenty-three hits, which tied the College World Series record. And last night, the team that scored 18 runs and won a national championship had 24 hits, which set a college World Series record. I don't make any of that make sense. You can't. That's baseball. You, you have one of those great stats that for the series, Florida outscored LSU by like six runs. But in the aggregate, yeah, there was not enough differential. And yet we yes. don't play. It's uh, it's match play, right? It's not stroke play. It's match play. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think Kyle Peterson made reference to that in the broadcast. Said he and, and Chris Burke were walking out of the stadium and happened to be by Jay Johnson, and he says, "You guys play golf." Said, uh, "I feel like I just made a twenty on the second hole, but I was one up going into that hole, and now we're just back to all square." Stroke play event, you're dead. Match play, nah, it's okay. Just lost the hole. You didn't lose. You didn't lose the tournament. You didn't lose the match. You just lost the hole. So and came right out of the gate too. I mean, it didn't even phase him. Well, yeah, but but fell behind right out of the gate. True. They get a run in the first and leave a couple of guys on, and then Florida gets a couple of runs in the bottom of the first and takes the lead. Got another home run. You're like, oh, here we go again. And then, boom, it was not here we go again. It was six in the second for LSU and four more in the third. And all of a sudden, they're up 10 to two. And then it's just off to the races. And they just kept swinging it and swinging it and swinging it. So, as I said, the college baseball season is now over. It was uh, a year to forget in the Magnolia State. Two years ago, Mississippi State was the last team standing, holding a trophy, fans feeling on top of the world. And they followed it up with back-to-back seasons in which they missed the SEC tournament. Last year, it was Ole Miss going on a heater at the end of the year, being the last team in, last team standing, holding up a trophy, fans feeling on top of the world. It was a day earlier that everybody was making their their way home from Omaha and people were trying to decide how they were going to get to Oxford for the the championship parade and the celebration in the stadium. And we were getting set for a remote on the balcony at at FNB on the square in Oxford and all the stuff that that, that went with that. And, and it was so much they fun. came with that, yeah. And then yeah. Ole Miss followed it up with not participating in the conference tournament. Well, hey, at least we have that to look forward to next year. LSU's out. Yeah. They're gonna be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I mean, at that, that point, you stop winning something. it. 
No, yeah, he, no, you, you don't. You just let somebody else win. Nope, yeah. you absolutely do not. You, you, See, you I think it's a different. Couple of down I think it's different. It's different for State and Ole Miss, who had never won one. If I told LSU fans, by the way, your next two years y'all going to be awful, they might be like, you know what? We can wait for Florida win. We, we, we got we got six. We're good. Mm, I disagree. Not when they hadn't won one since '09. Uh-huh. Well, let, let them sit through what I've sat through the last couple of years, and then we'll come back to them. Oh, Jay Johnson would not be the coach. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's a true that, story. That, that that is, I mean, just forget about it. Yeah. So Dave says not a year to forget in Mississippi. USM, sure. Yeah. That's all we had. Dave, I love you, man. Like I, I, I love you. That was not a slight at USM. It wasn't. It wasn't a slide at USM. It was a great season for Southern Miss. An incredible season. It's fantastic. That wasn't a slight. And yes, Southern Miss absolutely made us proud of college baseball once again in the state of Mississippi. But the point I was making was not a shot at Southern Miss. It was the last two national champions didn't make the SEC tournament. That, that was the point that I was making. Again, for one of them. Again, for one of them. So, Jerk. what what do we take from this? What is next year going to look like? How does Ole Miss avoid what Mississippi State did in consecutive years? How does Mississippi State avoid it being three years in a row? How do both Mississippi State and Ole Miss get back, not just to the SEC tournament, for goodness sake, but get back into the postseason. Get back into the conversation about being a host. The money that was spent on Duty Noble and Swayze was not spent for those stadiums to sent empty no. in early June. Or in some cases in May, this past season. I mean, uh, but for Ole Miss, it's, it's a couple things, right? One, it's Hunter Elliott's health. Getting him back healthy would be a huge boost uh, for that team for for many, many reasons. And I think the most important thing is getting help on the mound in the way that they have so far in the field. They're they're two high-profile portal additions, one at third base, one in the outfield, were really solid pickups. Now they have to come in and play and play well. But you like so far the potential of those two additions. Those were good additions that a lot of other schools wanted. One of them being LSU, by the way. You fought off LSU for your third baseman next year. So, obviously, the national champion thinks that he can play, too. you got to get that on the mound as well. And I know they've gotten a couple of guys that they need impact pitchers that were not with the team last year to join the team during this portal period. Because on the field, it looks like they've done that. Probably still need a couple more. Yeah, they do. Absolutely but, do. Uh, but the two that they've added, are it's a good sign. That energy just needs to to pick up. That That's the most important thing. Elliot's health and continuing to add the way they have so far in the portal. What they have so far is not enough, but it is a good sign that things are moving in a positive direction, I think. Hey, what about for State? Ooh, buddy. So, you know, today uh, or tomorrow's pod is, is our mailbag that we do every week. And, and we got this question. 
And I'm going to read it out loud. Rank these tasks for Mississippi State Baseball. This is the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcast. The most listened to Mississippi State podcast on planet Earth. I mean, My apologies for interrupting. We promote that thing on this show more than any other thing combined. Yeah, there, as we there's, should. there's uh, other podcasts that we offer that also, you know, could use promotion on this show from time to time. But anyway, back to. I mean, I have you on the podcast all the time. Talk about anytime I'm talking about Ole Miss, I call Michael. Talk about Moore. this show, this one. You know, twelve stations, eighty-two saying. counties. You know, Memphis to New Orleans, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Rebel Report. It's a good podcast. You should check it out if you're an Ole Miss fan or if you're a state fan who just wants to hear about Ole Miss. Here's the, the question. Rebel Report, hosted by Michael Borky, also available to you for free <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out Apple or Google Play. And while you're at it, you can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. Yes. The question for the mailbag. I can get this done, I can get this done in a minute 40. Here we go. Rank these tasks for Mississippi State baseball according to how badly they're needed. Getting two to three starter-ish portal pitchers. Senjay, Lofton, Sierra, Gibbs, Tapper, Forsyth making big jumps. Simmons, Auger, maybe Pico Khan back next year. Retaining Aaron Nixon, Casey Hunt, Kate Smith. Signing a legit portal third baseman. But do they have to do all that? they got to get all that done in one offseason. And you're going to look there with a straight face and tell me they're going to be better next year. Okay. In terms of ranking that's, that's those, in, in terms of ranking those in order of importance, they're all though, one. Your, your answer was yes. Yeah, that's what, that's exactly what I said on the podcast. The answer is they're all ranked number one because every last one of them had that checklist has to be complete by the time fall ball starts for Mississippi State. But and that, I don't in the see absence, that happening. In the absence of that checklist being complete, if you're able to check a couple of those things. Does it give you enough mm-hmm. to kind of get going back in the right direction? Or are you saying you have to check all of those boxes in order? Well, they got to get a third be... baseman. Yeah, you know, that's just that's just life. You got to have somebody sitting there on third base. They got to get a couple of portal pitchers who can start in the SEC, and that's going to be really really tough. And then they've got to get those young guys, all those freshmen that he mentioned. They've got to be better next year. So, going to be tough. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Maybe we should do a mailbag on Sports Talk Mississippi. Not a bad idea. Is that something we should uh, should consider? Perhaps. Yeah, sure. More coming up with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Let the broadcasting of the disturbed continue. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Segment of the first hour on this Tuesday afternoon. Good to be with you. Biggest portal news of the day. We'll just kind of stick with baseball as we wrap up this first hour of the show. There, there was big transfer portal news today. And it's kind of a continuation of a story that started last week of, he is. Oh, wait, no, he isn't. Wait, yes, he is. Now, officially. Chase Burns at Tennessee. Formerly a starter, turned into an elite reliever. 
But apparently, when he was Chase Burns was demoted from a starting role to the bullpen, he made up his mind that he was leaving Tennessee. Um, the reporting last week, when it was rumored that he was going to be in the transfer portal, and then people reported that he was indeed in the portal, the rumor was that Tennessee matched the offers of at least two SEC schools of $100,000 to get him back to Knoxville. By the way, if you can get Chase Burns for $100,000, which you can't, I know two schools that would sign up for that five minutes ago. No no question. The deal would already be done. It uh, would be done. So would he be, be at talking Western about Union right now? Yeah. Yes, it's like, in, in, in what denomination would you like that, Mr. Burns? Do you want it all up front? Would you like it in monthly payments? Do you want it daily? Direct deposit or delivered by a chauffeur? I mean, you, you decide. It's done. Um, so I do laugh when I see Wes Rucker say this absolutely was not about NIL. I, I think we have reached the point. Sorry, hey, Dad. When someone tells you that it is absolutely not about NIL, it is without question about NIL. Now, there may be other reasons also. Right. NIL plays a factor in every one of these decisions. Yes, but when someone comes out and says, it has nothing to do with NIL, well, yes, it does. Yes, Yes, it does. It It absolutely does. Absolutely. Because Chase Burns ain't pitching anywhere in college baseball for $100,000 next year. Nope. I would say minimum, and I think this is way, way low, minimum, somebody's paying this kid $250,000 to pitch for them next year. And again, I think that actual number is significantly low. And by the way, somebody I, I don't remember if it was Wes Rucker or somebody else on Twitter said that the offers that Tennessee matched were from LSU and Vanderbilt. Okay. That's just because nobody asked Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Florida. I don't know who else, if they wanted in. Yeah. Because that price, that price could have been driven up real quick. Yes. And will be. Yeah. I don't, does Chase Burns already know where he's going? I don't know. I heard Ben McDonald There's a lot say of that, smoke. Uh, no, yeah. I was just going to say that Ben McDonald said on a national radio show today that he thought, you know, he had heard that LSU was probably in the lead on that, which would stand to reason. There's a lot of smoke around. A lot of smoke around TCU right this second. Mm. Interesting. Well, Sarlos does a good job with pitchers. He does. And one of the rotation guys this year is a freshman. I'm not sure about the the other one. And it was they really, just got really TCU just TCU. got a big uh, a big transfer. Some guy from Wichita State who's a two way player struck out a hundred guys last year and also hit three eleven with thirteen bombs. Didn't Wichita State have like thirty guys going to the transfer portal? Yes. Like basically their entire roster. Yes. So we will. Um, I mean, that, that is a piece that if you put into your rotation, you automatically feel really, really good about who you are on the mound in terms of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Assuming you've got somebody else that you think is serviceable. 
And, you know, we'll see. Oh, man. You know, I do think there's a little bit of poetic justice happening with him hitting the portal and the Tennessee people and their reaction and the way they treated Southern Miss and Hattiesburg. And, you know, some people believe in karma, some people don't. I have enjoyed reading some of the meltdown today, to be honest, from the same people that dared think that playing a super regional at Southern Miss is so beneath them. Yeah. You can't even hang on to a, a guy that throws 102. And you know, the, the, the funny thing about all of that was that didn't come from the Tennessee team. Nope. And, and look, deservedly so, everybody beat up on Tennessee because of who they were, but what their personality as a team was a year ago. That was not Tennessee's personality this year. They were a different ball club and they acted differently. But once you... Once you develop that reputation, it, it's hard to shake it. Even if you change, it's hard to shake it. So, we'll see. We'll see where Chase Burns ends up. Knoxville, not going to be it. We'll be back on Sports Talk Mississippi. It's big. Brace yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices. On Super Talk Mississippi. All right, we got something fun to do to start things off in this 4 o'clock hour. Welcome back to the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of Geyser Falls Water Park. Good place to cool off. Have you seen the, the forecast? Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be 101 on Thursday, 102 on Thursday, 101 on Friday. So what do you need to do? You either need an air condition that blows really cold, or you need to go someplace that's wet so that you can cool off in the heat. You know where they got plenty of wetness, plenty of water? Geyser Falls Water Park, part of Pearl River Resort, slides, wave pool, lazy river, food, fun, whole family. And uh, Hey Dad's going to be signing autographs there on Saturday. So you should uh, you should absolutely do that. Geyser Falls Water Park, part of Pearl River Resort. We doing the stat dump? Yes. Yes! I was so proud of this. I mean, the, like every single one of these made me made me honestly say, "Wow!" Like I, I was just in my my home office, just going through all of these, and I was speaking to myself about how impressive some of these are. If you want to be a part of the conversation? You can join us on the Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine. Four three nine five. Whether you need the best in wireless, the best in internet for your home, or the best in business IT solutions, Ceasefire has you covered right here in the Magnolia State. To learn more, visit them online at ceasefire.com. Michael Borky on a deep dive found some interesting and random NFL stats. Hey, Dad's a football guy. We're all football guys at our core. Hey, Dad loves it probably more than the rest of us. He's going to love this. All football. Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers, rushing offense last year. 
improved after they traded away Christian McCaffrey. Huh? How'd that happen? That seems difficult to believe, yeah. How did that happen? Carolina's rushing offense got better last year after they traded away Christian McCaffrey. Okay. I'll just ease into the stat dump. Borky, Jim Harbaugh has more career regular season rushing yards than the great Bo Jackson. How about that? That seems impossible. Well, Jackson didn't play football for very long in the National Football League. Just saying. So it's... uh... Did you fact check this? Did you go to the numbers? Yep. Okay. What are they? I, I, I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head. Oh, oh, okay, okay, I got you. I thought, like, you had them written down. I got oh, you. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Jim Harbaugh, Coach Khaki Pants, with more career rushing yards in the NFL in the regular season than Bo Jackson. Okay. 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 In, in 2002, the all-time great Jerry Rice was top 10 in the NFL in yards, catches, and touchdowns. Played on an AFC champion team that year, 2002. He was 40 years old. The second oldest wide receiver that season in 2002 to have 1,000 yards receiving was 35-year-old Joey Galloway. Jerry Rice was so good. The, the Jerry, some of these I, I just omitted because they were kind of repetitive. But Jerry Rice is the stat king in the NFL. He and Tom Brady are the yes. stat kings. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jim Harbaugh in his NFL career rushed for two thousand seven hundred eighty-seven yards. How about that? Yeah, and Bo Jackson total had ever so slightly more, but remember, it's regular season. Yeah. 27-87 on the ground rushing for Jim Harbaugh. Do you realize he played 14 seasons in the NFL? Crazy. He was a rookie with Chicago in 1987, played all the way through the year 2000 with San Diego. Uh... Tom Brady has won 12% of all Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That's true. I knew that. That's you insane. Say it out loud, it's insane when you say it out loud. The Lions' last playoff win. <laughs> the Lions' last playoff win is closer to the date of President Kennedy's assassination than it is to today's date. That's crazy. Mm, I think that'll change this year. Sorry, Lions fans. Uh, Chicago Bears quarterbacks. That has been a position where they've never quite gotten it right in the Windy City. How do we know this? Well, Chicago Bears quarterbacks have had one 1,000-yard rushing season. Justin Fields. All time. Last year, right? Last year. They have had zero 
4,000-yard passing seasons. 4,000. Uh, that, 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 that's a big number. It is. It used to be. It's yeah. not as big anymore. Yeah, 4,000 is not that much anymore. Can you guess who the single-season yard passing leader for the Chicago Bears is? Do you, do you think you know who that Cutler. could be? It is not Cutler. Jay Cutler. I'm Rex Grossman. Eric Kramer. Oh! Wow. Threw for 3,838 yards in 1995. Mm. Never had a 4,000. Because if you average 300 yards a game, which is not an unattainable threshold in today's NFL over 17 games, you're at 5,100 yards. Last year, nine quarterbacks threw for over 4,000 yards in the NFL. So 4,000 yards divided by today's 17-game schedule is averaging 235 yards a game through the air. That is not Yeah, okay. Okay, Bears, it's time to get that. It's time to go ahead and check that box. Yeah. The Cleveland Browns. Oh, Lord. From 2005... To 2021, they never won a season opener. By the way, how depressing is that? How how depressing is it for 16 seasons, 16 consecutive years, you started out 0-1? I couldn't imagine. That was, by the way, the longest such drought in major American sports in that time frame by nine years. So what you're telling me is that Last year they won the season opener. I think they did, didn't they? Yes. Well, they must have. You just said tw- yes. to 2021, yeah, right? 2021, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they obviously were 1-0. Congrats! Yeah, no other NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, or NHL team had a stretch of more than seven consecutive years in which they lost their opener. And they <laughs> lost it 16 straight. 16. Oy, oy, oy. This is my favorite one. Here we go. Everyone on planet Earth, that's the that's where we reside. Everyone on planet Earth not named Tom Brady, Jerry Rice, or Brett Favre is tied for third in NFL receiving yards after the age of 40. <laughs> All right. Third. Rice's 2,509 receiving yards is first. Tom Brady's six receiving yards <laughs> is second. And Brett Favre is third on the list. No, he's last in the world. Oh, yeah, I guess he is because he's minus two. <laughs> oh, I'm ahead of Favre. So you guys favor. have more receiving yards in your 40s than Brett Favre. Mm. You know, if, if you're listening, uh, Gail Benson, I, I'm down for a tryout. Mike Vrabel. You know who Mike Vrabel is? Coach of the Tennessee Titans now. A great with the um, with the New England Patriots for all of those years. Um, a good player. He, he, he was known as a defensive player, though. Did you know that he had 10 career receptions? 10 catches 
in his yeah. NFL career. Did you know that all ten of them were touchdowns? They love that little play. I remember that. that they, they would bring him on as, as an extra blocker and sneak him out in the flat. And Brady would always find him. A linebacker, an all-pro linebacker in the NFL with ten career receptions, every single one of them resulting in a touchdown. So a couple couple more of these that we'll get to when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Super Talk Mississippi. Check this out. Are you ready? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will resume the mind-boggling NFL stat dump a little bit later in the show this afternoon. But right now, we go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Talty joins us. He is a senior writer at uh, – at. well, hold on now. I want to get this right. Talty, because Hey Dad tells me Alabama's on three site, but you haven't updated your Twitter bio, so I don't want to mess it up. I don't work for on three, so we can make sure we don't have that wrong. Um, you can just work for 24-7 sports. It's easy enough. Okay, that's what I that's what I have. I had senior writer at twenty four seven sports and hey dad just made up a title for you today and so here we are. It, it's his fault. I'm I'm blaming it completely how about best selling author of the uh, the Nick Saban completely book, incorrect, Secrets by the of way. Nick Saban. John Talty, what's up, man? Great to catch up with you as uh, as always. Hope you're well. Yeah, listen, you guys can call me whatever you want. Uh lived in Mississippi for a couple of years, oh. got called lots of things. Most of them not always positive, so like we're already in good territory just by saying nice things about me. All right. Well that's uh we are we are off to a good start. Hey, I'm really fascinated by the um the Alabama quarterback situation. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know every Alabama fan right now. Um, is is waking up every day and it's like the first thing that's popping into their mind. Or maybe not every Alabama fan, but a lot of Alabama fans are waking up every day and they're like, yeah, so, so who's going to be the quarterback? And I'm curious where you think this goes. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's unique in that, and I was thinking about this the other day, it's been really since 2015 where it felt like we had a really kind of wide open quarterback race at Alabama. You know, since then there are times where there's some kind of up in the air controversy or discussion, but for the most part, you kind of knew who the players were. And this one feels a lot more open. So that I think is unique in general for Alabama fans to have to go through this after the you know incredible run of quarterbacks they've had uh, over the last eight years. But I mean, to me, I view it as primarily a two horse race. Um, I think it's Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, and, and Jalen Milrow, who's who's been there and, and started uh, in place of Bryce Young when he was hurt last year. To me, those are the two main guys. You've also got Ty Simpson, who has you know the the best pedigree of the three. You know, five star quarterback coming in, son of a college head coach. Uh, but to me, it just feels like he's running a bit behind those two guys, at least as we kind of head into uh, fall camp here coming up. So. It's, there's a lot of uh, questions around it. I think you know we can make prediction, predictions. I'm sure we'll get into more details on it. I don't think anybody knows definitively right now. I don't think we'll know definitively 
until that first game against Middle Tennessee State. And even at the end of that game, we might not know definitively who is going to be the guy. But, you know, Buckner and, and Milrow give you different things. They give you different options. And so I think that's what makes it you know, even a little more interesting is that they're not carbon copies of each other. They really kind of represent different paths that you can take uh, based on their kind of skill set and, and you know, attributes. So, John, I kind of want to go in reverse order on those three guys because, Ty Simpson, you mentioned the pedigree, and, and I talked to people a couple of years ago that, that were just so incredibly high on Ty Simpson, even going so far as, hey, when it's all said and done, he's going to be the best out of this run of quarterbacks that Alabama has had, as you mentioned, over the last eight years, which is a really, really big statement. Do you think there's somewhere where it's gone wrong for Ty Simpson, or maybe he's just not quite there yet, at least to the level that Nick Saban expects? Yeah, I think it's the latter. You know, I think there's a couple things in place there, and I think you saw some of, you know, in the spring game, some of the downside there is that, you know, one of Saban's biggest things, and you go back again to just the start of the run, and for a long time you had these kind of, you know, game manager type quarterbacks that, you know, more than anything he wanted them to protect protect the ball and not make mistakes. And, you know, that evolved over time. They got more innovative of offense with Lane Kiffin and other people. And I think, to this point, I think there's just not that full trust in Simpson to, you know, not make mistakes in pressure situations. And it's part of the questions of Jalen Milrow, too, to be honest. Uh, though Milrow, again, gives you a little bit of a different level of athleticism and things that you can tap into. But, I mean, clearly Simpson's a talented kid. Uh, I just think that there's certain things that, you know, every level you go up get a little bit harder. And I think from a processing speed standpoint and, a you know, don't make, dumb mistakes in the middle of a game or scrimmage or things like that, but Simpson just hasn't really gotten there yet. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, he's the guy that, you know, again, there's there will be options should he want to leave, and I think all these guys have eligibility moving forward past this year. So I'm really interested, you know, by the end of fall camp, how things kind of shake out and, you know, what that means for some of these guys on the roster. I would be, you know, obviously shocked if all three of these guys are back the following year. So, John, would Alabama have gotten Tyler Buckner in the transfer portal if they had not gotten Tommy Reese as their offensive coordinator? I think it, it helped for sure. I mean, obviously there's a mutual knowledge and understanding there. Now, he's not the only quarterback that they looked into, but I think that connection probably helped both in terms of getting him and then also Tyler feeling comfortable and, okay, I know what this guy does and I know, you know, what type of coach he is and all those different things. So yeah, I think familiarity helps. I mean, you guys know that switching the transfer portal, these things happen so fast. You know, guys pop in and they get a flood of options and they make decisions fast. And so I think when you kind of know who you're going to be playing for, that certainly helps in the situation. And I think as well, you know, when they were scouting possible quarterback options, when they clearly were not 100% happy and comfortable with what they had in that quarterback room, you know, Reese was able to sell Nick Saban on what Tyler's skill set was and how he would potentially use him at Alabama. So I think it all all of that kind of added up, I think, into why he ultimately, you know, went from Notre Dame to Alabama. Visiting with John Talty, he's a senior writer at twenty four seven sports, talking some Alabama football with uh, with him on the Farm Bureau guest line. So John last year maybe the same situation, but I feel like Jameer Gibbs transferring from Georgia Tech was a big enough name and people knew who he was. And that was a transfer portal guy that a lot of people talked about. So so maybe set that one aside. I feel like it's been a long time 
since if you asked a random SEC football fan, hey, who's Alabama's running back? Like they'd be able to just absolutely reel the name off up for you because it's a guy that has put up a thousand yards, was a, a, a secondary back who was like, there's no question the future is this guy. I don't feel like we've got that going into the season this year. I, I'm not sure that Jace McClellan or Roy Dell Williams' name is just rolling off the tongue of a random fan. How's Alabama going to be at running back this year? Yeah, no, and I agree. And I think you know you'd have to probably go back to I guess Najee Harris, which was you know. 2020, but even beyond that, I mean, it was like the guy, I mean, like the Derrick Henry types, you know, I think they haven't had that. Brian Robinson was a, a solid running back, albeit, you know, not particularly, didn't blow you away. Now, I actually think Alabama's running back depth is really good. They don't have that star like you pointed out to yet. Now, the guy that Nick Saban has been raving about is this freshman, Justice Haynes, who looks like he could be the next type of running back that you're talking about like that. Um, I don't think he's going to come in and start or anything like that. Uh, I think the two guys that you mentioned have, you know, kind of the, certainly the edge on getting more carries to start. But Haynes, I could see kind of how we've seen over the years at Alabama where that kind of that third guy where he's coming in um, as kind of a change of pace or just give a breather. And then you see him kind of get more and more carries as the season goes on. And then, you know, by the year two or year three, he is the guy that, that feels like the, kind of the playbook for Haynes. But I think that that's one of the positions there at their deepest. But to your point, there is not a superstar at that spot. And frankly, if we take a step back and look at this roster overall, there's not the typical maybe superstars that you're expecting. I mean, you look at last year, it was incredibly top-heavy with, you know, Bryce Young, Will Anderson. We can get into Jameer Gibbs, who, you know, was very good and, of course, got drafted very highly in the NFL draft. There is not that one or two guys at the top of this roster the way we've seen in past years. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out overall because I think from top to bottom, I think they're probably deeper than they were last year, but you don't have those, you know, those incredible once in a generation type talents at the top the way they had in the last couple of years. And you know what? That's it's like there's a mix of okay, maybe there's some optimism for the rest of the SEC, but everybody should probably remember that it's not like Alabama has recruited poorly, and and just because you don't know what's coming doesn't mean it's not coming. Um, I, I'll use this kind of as as our last question. You've got about a minute or so left. There are going to be more people than in a while who vote somebody other than Alabama, probably LSU, to win the SEC West. If I gave you a vote today, would you vote Alabama? as the favorite in the West, or would you go a different direction? Yeah, I, I think I like Alabama in the West. Um, maybe it's just I've been around this program long enough that, like, it just feels like the, one of those moments where, you know, Saban has a lot of ammunition to use where Georgia's the new power, people are picking LSU to win the West, that it feels like one of those, again, I think back to it, it's reminiscent so far about the season starting of that 2015 team that, had some ups and downs, took a little while to figure it out, and then kind of played the underdog card throughout the season and, of course, ended up winning the national championship. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, of course, but I, I, I still like Alabama right now. I still think they have enough talent coming back based on the way they've recruited uh, to be the top team in the West. I think Ole Miss fans would sign up for a full replication of that 2015 season. 
beat Alabama in Alabama. Yeah. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. They uh, they get the win in Tuscaloosa. Alabama wins a title. I think most people would sign up for that. John, great stuff as always. Appreciate your time. John Talty from Twenty Four Seven Sports, senior writer there. And if you haven't read his book, you uh, you should. It's a uh, it's a good one. Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban been on shelves for a little over a year now. John, thanks so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Come on. Are we gonna do this? Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. Super Talk, Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. So, you know, I, I threw the question to John a second ago. We, we we get to this deal every so often. It doesn't happen all that often where teams are convinced that, yeah, this is the year that Alabama's not on top. We know LSU won the West, but Alabama was picked to win the West, and everybody thought they were going to going into the year. Turned out they didn't. It was a good LSU team that won the right game in the right moment, and they go to the SEC championship game. For a large part of the spring, post-college football playoff, kind of through the offseason, we've talked a lot about this. And there are a lot of people, hey, Dad being one of them, that have been like, probably going to vote LSU to win the West this year. That this feels like the year, you know, year three for Brian Kelly, returning quarterback. Is it not year three? It's year two. Good grief. Last year was his first year in Baton Rouge. It was. Mm-hmm. Okay, year two for Brian Kelly, returning quarterback. Harold Perkins leading that defense, et cetera, et cetera. But then as we get closer to the start of the season, you hear more people going, yeah, I don't know, that Alabama team. And then you hear John Talty say, you know, this might be one of those years where people do kind of overlook them a little bit. Not really, but kind of, in the way that you could overlook Alabama. And they don't quite have the quarterback thing figured out at the beginning of the year. And, yes, some, some because of what's returning in Baton Rouge and who their coach is, there's some people that pick LSU, but then you look up and you're like, "Oh, oh, we 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 just we just didn't know them yet." I asked, uh, I had Chris Doring on the podcast uh, a couple like last week, and I asked him, "Is it possible that Alabama is overrated and underrated at the same time right this second? And he sort of is like, "Yeah, there's something to that because they're Alabama, and you know they have talent, but at the same time, they're probably going to be a top four or five team." And you really have no clue what you're getting from them at the quarterback position and a number of other positions. They don't have the elite skill position players they had as recently as two, three years. I mean, there's no, there's no Najee Harris. There's no, there's no Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, uh, Jalen Waddell on this team. So they got to find those guys and they've certainly recruited those kind of guys, but they don't, right now you don't know who they are. So what you're saying makes a little bit of sense. Like, you know, we don't know them right this second. So what about in terms of the, the similarities to uh, similarities to that 2015 team? 
So Ole Miss beat Alabama in Oxford in 2014. We know all about that. And then they turned around and did it in 2015. But that was that was a different team than the, the 2014 team they beat. So in 2015, Ole Miss played in Tuscaloosa in week three. It was Saturday, September 19th. And what was it? Alabama started Cooper Bateman in that game, I think it was. And that didn't go very well and kind of dug themselves a hole and the Ole Miss offense just kept scoring and you look up at one point and yeah, they end up playing Jake Coker and he nearly brings them all the way back in the game a couple of different times, but Ole Miss just kept scoring and they built enough cushion early in that game they were able to do it. So here you go this year. Ole Miss goes to Tuscaloosa in week four. Not week three, but week four, September 23rd. We don't necessarily know if Alabama's going to have the quarterback thing completely sorted out. Is this where you want to get Alabama on the schedule? If you're Ole Miss? Yep. State and Ole Miss both. And State gets them at home. They they both play Alabama in the month of September. That's, that's, That's definitely what you want. For State, is it the week before or the week after? State plays in week five. So, yeah. Okay. Week so after. the 30th. September, September 30th. 30th. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. How do you think that? Is, is it Tyler Buckner? I mean, are we overthinking it? Is it going, yeah. going to be Tyler Buckner with his former offensive player from Notre Dame? Yeah, I can't imagine that he transferred in without. I mean, I'm not assurances. You know, Saban's not going to give anybody anything, but he has to feel like pretty confident in his ability because he could have gone elsewhere. He had other options. We've talked a lot about about Lane Kiffin, and I think there. Are, if if he did some some pretty serious introspection and self scouting in the off season, I think there are a lot of things that he could learn from from last year, on the field, off the field, etc. I wonder if Lane Kiffin. If there's any part of him that can treat week four on the road in Tuscaloosa as just another SEC game. Because they put so much into that game in Oxford last year. And we're so close to winning. We shot into the end zone as time expired to win the football game. Didn't win. And then the following week you have... Was Arkansas the, the next week? Is that right? Or was that a couple of weeks later? I don't, I don't have the schedule pulled up in front of me. It was the next week. It was, it was the, the next week. week. And you get just blown out. And it was like they never recovered from that Alabama game. Can Alabama just be another SEC game on the schedule for Ole Miss this year? Just go play it straight up. You spend the same amount of time preparing for them that you do everybody else. You go in, you build your game plan, you believe in what you've got, and then you go and you see if you're good enough to beat them. And if you don't, you just move on to the next week and you get ready for LSU, who's coming to your place seven days later. Yeah, if it if it gets, it, and I guess maybe it depends and then on Arkansas the result the of week the game. After that. Yeah, I know, right? But the result of the game kind of matters. It, it, We'll see, right? If they have like a last-second field goal and they miss it, we'll see exactly what you're talking about. Has he learned? Because 
you can talk about how great Arkansas was and stuff. I've I've had some people do that or heard some people do that. After the Alabama loss, things went south. And I'm not talking about the record. It was different. It was it was very clearly different between coach buy-in and then the, the distractions that were allowed to manifest. That can't happen again because LSU is going to beat you and then Arkansas is going to beat you again. Ceasefire text line, Jason says, deeper than last year should scare everyone. That's generally the difference in the SEC. Who's got more left in the fourth quarter? CC and Senatobia, is Georgia the new Alabama? Hmm, kind of. As a That's state sort of fan, that same thing we're just, we're just talking about. We're, we're like, I don't know who Georgia's quarterback. I guess it's going to be Carson Beck. I haven't seen him play. But I'm sure would we'll tell you they're the number one team in the nation. Yeah. Doesn't, Doesn't matter like who the quarterback is. Yeah. Yeah. As a state fan, I can say with confidence there is a never uh, never a good time to get Alabama on your schedule. <laughs> True story. Um, that was that was today's podcast. It was about Alabama. Here's one. Ole Miss is probably going to beat Alabama. There's a long standing tradition tradition of Alabama losing the week before they play state. Happened <laughs> last year. That is true. What is it? The, the last four Alabama regular season losses, they played Mississippi State the week later. And then the, the last four? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Which, generally speaking, is not when you want to play a Nick Saban coached Alabama. They're not losing generally back-to-back speaking. usually, no. 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 Uh, and then one more. Kiffin just needs to leave the popcorn alone. Oh, that was two years ago. It was. It was. People will remember. It's a weird moment, too. <laughs> Better get your popcorn ready. Okay. And then the Alabama mascot was able to, by the uh, the second half of that game, come out with, like, big yeah, popcorn props. That was, that was fairly impressive. Fairly impressive. Let me, uh, let me throw another one of these crazy NFL stats yeah, at you. We've got so many more. Yeah. Many more. Many, many more. So many more that I can't find exactly what I'm looking for because I have the wrong page pulled up on my computer. My apologies. Uh, Here's the next one. In the last regular season game of the 1986 season, the Steelers outgained the Chiefs 515 yards to 171. But the Chiefs scored all of their points through a blocked punt, a kickoff return, a blocked field goal, and a field goal. And they won the game 24 to 19, and they made the playoffs for the first time in 13 years. You get out game 515 to 171 and win the game. Hmm. That's pretty rough. That is, uh, that is something. Th- this next one is one of the more remarkable football stats when it comes to one individual player. And uh, we will get to that on the other side of this timeout. Hogman checking in on the ceasefire text been? line. Hogman there ready he to is. make a bet against both Mississippi teams. Hogman, baseball season is over. I suppose you've licked all your wounds. It is good to have you back. We've all been licking some wounds after this past baseball season. Except for Southern Miss, they had a great year. Made all of us proud. Sports Talk Mississippi at the Pearl River Resort Studios. We'll be right back. Your 
You're hearing Sports Talk Mississippi. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome again, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Good to be with you. You want to uh, be a part of the conversation, you can join us on the Ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Love to hear from you, as a lot of you have uh, have done this afternoon. Larry Fitzgerald has more career tackles than he does dropped passes. That's one that's kind of well-known. That's one that makes makes the round sometimes. And it's like significantly more. It's like double. Mm-hmm. Doesn't drop footballs. No. I, I know he, he's a Hall of Famer, all that. But, but does sports... Society as a whole appreciate Larry Fitzgerald enough? No, because he never won a championship. Never won a championship. And I think, as as dumb as this is going to sound for some people, but I think you guys know what I mean. I think the lack of flash contributes to not getting enough respect post-career. Because he got yeah. touchdowns to run, hand the ball to the ref, went to the sideline. There was no drama. Mm-hmm. There, there was no... He, he didn't have his own brand. He didn't have... All this stuff. It was just, I'm going to go out, I'm going to catch footballs, if I'm going to be a great player, and I'm going to hand the ball to the ref and go to the sideline. If you said name the great receivers of his generation, people would say Randy Moss and T.O. first. Just because they didn't think of him. Not necessarily because right. they believed yeah. either of those They'd two be like, better than him. Right. They would be third. You know. Is that the right generation to put him in? I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's kind of a tweener. Well, I mean, he started pro football in what two thousand four. So yeah, Moss, start, Moss, Moss would have been in his prime. To is starting to come up at that point. Yeah. So he and he was a year behind Eli Manning, right? Or were they in the same draft class? They were in the same draft class, but he was a year behind him. He was a junior when when Eli was a senior. 17,492 receiving yards, 121 career touchdowns, 1,432 catches. He averaged a little over 12 yards per catch for his career. Wow. Really good. Wow. He was a star at the University of Pittsburgh as well. And by all accounts, like, I know a few people that know him. And or I say a few. I know a couple of people that know him. And by all accounts, he is one of the nicest human beings you will ever encounter. Just does not surprise it. me. Yeah. Yeah, not surprised at all. Yeah. Um ton of work off the field. 
And is it is it Barstool or is it somebody else who talks about the fact that he has a massive rump? Probably them. Probably them. I wasn't aware that. If you if you look at Larry Fitzgerald not in a football uniform but in golf pants, you're like, oh, okay. There you go. Borky's Borky's doing a Google image search right now. Nope. Yeah, I'm gonna oh. let that one go. All right. I'll let that my, one go. My eyes went back to the stats list. Yeah. Uh, Tim Tebow. Check your word for it. Is the only quarterback drafted by the Broncos to win a playoff game for the Broncos. I can buy it. Elway was drafted by the Colts. That's right. You're probably thinking Elway was drafted by... No, he was not. That's right. Elway was drafted by the Colts. Would not play for them. He pulled an Eli before... I guess Eli pulled an Elway. And... Said I will not play for him. He said he was going to go play for baseball. He was a really great baseball player, yeah. and uh, they, they traded him. Um, and then Cutler, same Jake Plummer, not drafted by the the Broncos. Yeah. One more for you. When Drew Peyton. Brees retired, he had more five thousand plus yard passing seasons than every other quarterback in NFL history combined. Think about that. He had more 5,000-plus-yard passing seasons than every other quarterback combined in NFL history. And even today, he owns one-third of all the 5,000-plus-yard seasons. Some horrible news just broke, Richard. uh, Yeah, some horrible news just broke. Uh, Ryan Mallett has passed away, drowned. In Florida. Way too young really? for that, man. Yeah. Really? Oh. He was coaching high school football. Hmm. My goodness. It's one of those things just out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at Twitter and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. We're back with you right after this. Check this out. Sports Talk Mississippi, Supertalk Mississippi. o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us alongside Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad. I'm Richard Cross. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Two 18-hole championship courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas, and they are available for you to play. You can book your tee time online by visiting DancingRabbitGolf.com. Go there. You can either book online with the uh, information that you need to enter, or you can grab the uh, the phone number to call the pro shop and set things up there just over the phone like maybe you would have done in a more traditional sense. 
call the pro shop and book a tea time as opposed to doing it online. Whatever's easiest for you, you can do it that way. DancingRabbitGolf.com, part of Pearl River Resort. The Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. It's backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do, which is right here in Ceasefire country. Check them out online at cspire.com slash business. We remind you that Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can find Genteel at men's clothing stores across the state of Mississippi, including Kincaid's Fine Clothing in Ridgeland, Reed's Starkville in, of course, Starkville, Randy Price and Company in Hattiesburg, Abraham's Indianola, the Willander in Brandon, and Mile 363 in Natchez. Of course, you can also visit Genteel online at genteelapparel.com. Check out the Collegiate Collection. Check out the great options that they've got for you this summer and get free shipping on orders of $150 or more. That's at genteelapparel.com. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Let's get to, uh, actually, hold on, hold that thought just for a second. Just, just for a second. Uh, I did want to follow up on the, the news that Haydad mentioned before the uh, break. Uh, former Arkansas quarterback and current high school football coach um, Ryan Mallett has passed away. He was the head football coach at Whitehall. Is that, that's in uh, Arkansas. Um, DeltaPlexNews.com is the website that uh, reported the story, said it's confirmed through multiple sources that Whitehall head football coach and former Arkansas quarterback Ryan Mallett uh, has drowned in Florida. Multiple sources tell Deltaplex News that Mallett was transported to a Florida hospital from a beach. He was pronounced dead at the hospital, hired by Whitehall February of 2022. So this would have been his first year coming up as the head football coach. No other details about the... Um, uh, circumstances surrounding the event. Guys, I was just was just reading a story yesterday um, about drowning deaths being up this year in the Florida Panhandle, specifically in the Panama City area, but even back to the west a little bit more toward 30A and working back toward Destin. So I think it's Bay County where Panama City is, and then when you move back to the west, you get into um, Walton County and that there had been an issue, and for the last couple of weeks, or the last se- several times in the last couple of weeks, they've had double red flags and have had some pretty severe rip currents. I, I don't know if that is if, if that and this are related at all. It's just really odd timing to read that story late last night and then get this news today. Um, be careful if you're going to the beach with your family for a vacation this summer. Um, that's tough. Man, golly. When was he, was he 2015 in Arkansas? Is that right? No, earlier than that. 2009, 2010? He's 35 years old. Born in 1988. Okay, he played four or five. Uh, that's not right. So he started his career at Michigan in 2007, and then he was at Arkansas in 2009, 10. Nine and ten were the two years that he played. So, yeah. so he sat out the 2008 year back when you still had to sit out for transferring from one school to another. Right. Um, started 26 games in two years at Arkansas and threw for 
That's 7,500 yards. A, a boatload of yards and touchdowns, yeah. Yeah. 62 touchdowns in two seasons at Arkansas. And so that would have been for Bobby Petrino, right? He Was was he Bobby Petrino's first yes. quarterback at Arkansas? I don't know if he was their first quarterback because Petrino was there in 08. But he was the quarterback for 09 and 10, yeah. So, sad news there about uh, Ryan Mallett. All right, let's jump into the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. 46 straight years as the number one selling truck in America. That's F-Series. They've also got great deals on SUVs like the Expedition, the Explorer, crossovers like the Edge. To learn more, visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So this is the start of a conversation that might last most of this 5 o'clock hour. We've still got to get a team in on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This honestly is a conversation that could could last for a couple of days if we really wanted it to. Here's hoping. Lay it out, Borky. So it's a very simple question that leads to complex answers and follow-up questions. So we'll start with the positive. Here's the optimism side of it. Give me three reasons why Ole Miss and Mississippi State, of course, will overachieve in 2023. If they overachieve, give me the three biggest reasons why they were able to do that in 2023. Okay. Let's lay the whole thing out. And the flip side. Give me three, or more if you got more, reasons why they underachieve in 2023. So if they do not meet expectations, give me three reasons why they were not able to do so. All right, so we've got to set a baseline for what achievement is, don't we? <laughs> We do, and that's the conversation, right? Because the, the if you want to do the, the gambling odds, you can get Ole Miss at 7.5, so overachieving, generally speaking, would be going over, and underachieving, generally speaking, would be going under. Mississippi State is one game below that at 6.5. So, generally speaking, going over 6.5 would be an overachievement, and under would be an underachievement. But right, is that so, reality? So, so let's do this. Let's add one word to the overachieve, underachieve. Let's use the Vegas number, but then let's add significant. And, and so instead of just going over seven and a half, or only winning seven in the case of Ole Miss, just getting to seven for Mississippi State or being at six or less for Mississippi State, it's called significant. And so let's say a game and a half over under. Sure. Overachievement, underachievement. So- so if Ole, Ole Miss, Miss wins, gets nine, State gets eight. There you yes. go. Okay. All and right. in terms of underachievement, we're talking Ole Miss being at six, six State being at five. It really is something, by the way, to see those numbers. And I, I, I we talked about it a little bit. We, you know, I think Leach is probably worth a win to Mississippi State if he were still here. But Ole Miss is the team with Georgia on its schedule. They play Georgia and Alabama. State only has to play Alabama, and yet it's Ole Miss that has the extra win from Vegas. I think it's as simple as a toss-up games like A and M and Arkansas, for example, are at home. They're at LSU's home. LSU's at home. Yeah, that that kind yeah. of that kind of thing. 
You call an LSU a toss-up game? No, it just if you're if you're going to play if you're going to pick Georgia and LSU for yeah. example the two favorites in their divisions where would you rather have to go on the road I think it's Athens because yeah. you're yeah you're losing that game anyway yeah yeah that's true no doubt although the last time Georgia came to Oxford it's true it was a long sad hot a, day for Jacob Eason that was a long time ago in term I mean I, and Kevin, I mean, it's a little been in cat years how different Georgia is now mm, yeah. So, three reasons why Ole Miss overachieves in 2023. And and for the purpose of this, we're saying that's nine wins or better. Okay. The defense they... under Pete Golding took a significant step forward. I'm not going to say, I, I'm not going to use massive, but I am going to use significant. Because I don't think Ole Miss has to go from wherever they were in the defensive rankings a year ago to top ten for them to be an effective defense in the SEC. But 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 let's say they take a step forward to middle of the pack, top third in the SEC. That that's no, what I mean. They were ninth last year. You were saying, you know, fifth, top five defense in the SEC, right? Okay. That that I agree. I agree. That would that would be a big reason for Ole Miss to win nine games. We'll get to two other reasons that Ole Miss would win nine or more games in 2023 when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. From the flatlands of Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Every minute worth waiting for. Super Talk Mississippi. We're simply not going to have time to get to it today. But we have to talk about this tomorrow. The NCAA has rolled out a memo in which they have told everybody across the country, we don't care what your state laws say. You're a volunteer member of this organization, and the membership makes the rules, and you will follow the rules or else, and already... We have had an athletics director, a sitting AD, fire back that says, we will operate by our state law. You want to stay tuned for that conversation or be back with us tomorrow because it could be an interesting fight. Sounds like the NCAA, going to, they have gone long enough without significant legal fees and they want to go ahead and get ready to go back to court because that is where that will go, and it will not take long, and they will start the legal fee cash register once again. Yeah, and everybody that just saw the old slap on the wrist they gave LSU for using a children's hospital charity to funnel money to players are really going to be intimidated by that letter for sure. Yeah, yeah. so uh, some more of that uh, coming up. This is Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk.tv.
So the topic, this is a carryover topic for the college football fix today, is the things that have to happen on the field for Ole Miss and Mississippi State to overachieve or underachieve in 2023. And just started with Ole Miss a second ago. My first thing for Ole Miss was the defense takes a significant step forward. And Haydad said, okay, what are you talking, top five defense? Yeah, top five, top half, somewhere in that neighborhood. They were ninth last year. I didn't want to – I don't have them pulled up in front of me. And their floor got elevated. Now we'll see, and part of the second half of this conversation is – what would lead to them underachieving is if these guys, you know, for whatever reason, don't acclimate or translate well. But eight weeks ago, you looked at the depth chart, and I know that's a loose term, but there are a bunch of dudes that were in line to start at Ole Miss that you've never seen play before and don't really have the pedigree that you would expect them to be impact players. And, and then they add Stefan Wynn and, and Ukwu and Monty Montgomery and Gene Baptiste, and suddenly you, you've got a front six, and even a secondary as well, filled with a bunch of experienced football players. We have no idea what the ceiling is for their defense. It, it could be really high, it could be really low. But in terms of on-paper personnel, they have absolutely elevated the floor of what that defense can be. But the other side is, will they acclimate in time? Talent-wise, bodies, they have they have added and improved on paper, which, as we know, games are always won on paper. Yeah, and, and I don't know exactly when you say improving defensively what that means. I mean, I guess we're talking about total defense, but really it's more about points that you give up. I mean, Ole Miss was... Points per possession is the best measure of how good a defense is in today's college football with the volume of plays and stuff like that that goes on. Points per possession, I think, is the best stat for Pro- a defense. Probably, probably so. And, I mean, I've got – looking at total defense, so Ole Miss was eighth in total defense last year, just shy of 380 yards per game. So if they move up two spots in terms of yards per game allowed, does giving up – 361 and a half instead of 379.8. Does that mark a transition? It's more about getting it done on the defensive side. You know, whether that's slowing down the run or slowing down the pass or just limiting scores or, or, you know, better red zone defense, you can kind of decide on that. So I'm just going to use the general term of take a significant step forward under Pete Golding on the defensive side. So that's number one for me. Number two, Ole Miss overachieves in 2023 if the offensive line is more multidimensional than they were a year ago. So we know about Ole Miss in the run game a season ago, but we also know that the Ole Miss rushing offense, which led the SEC by a significant amount, 261.5 yards per game on the ground last year for Ole Miss. Arkansas was second at 223. But so much of that was quick hitters, tempo-based. Quinshawn Judkins was great. And Ole Miss's offensive line bogged down, in, or Ole Miss's running game bogged down in the red zone and in short-yardage situations. 
And Lane Kiffin told us before the spring game this year that some of that was because they didn't make some adjustments to how they were blocking. They just did what worked the year before and what had worked early in the season, and it really bit them. Think about that in the Mississippi State game. Think about it in a couple of other LSU probably would be one as well. So I think they've got to be a little bit better from a pass-blocking standpoint, and I think they've got to be better in short-yarded situation. And it would have been easy to go and say, you know, Jackson Dart needs to take a step forward, or Quinshawn Judkins has got to replicate what he did a year ago. But I actually think by going to the offensive line, you create an opportunity for those other two things to happen. So staying healthy and being better in some situational things on the offensive line, and this Ole Miss team overachieves in 2023. Hey, I see you kind of nodding, but like scrunching your eyes a little yeah. bit as I say that. Well, what I would say is, is Dart was a five star coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. You no, he wasn't. Like was he not? He was a five star transfer. He was a three star coming out of high school, depending on your service. I'm serious. Yeah. I got to look. I know that I don't believe you, but I want to see it for myself. I know he's a five star transfer, which was silly at the time. He played in four games. But he, I mean, he's got to play at a high level. But, but you're not, you're certainly not wrong in that having a good offensive line in front of him would help him do that. Now you think about the last two years at the quarterback position. How many sacks Ole Miss has avoided simply because of the athleticism of the quarterback? In the case of Jackson Dart last year, it was evading a pass pass rush. And in the case of Matt Corral the year before, it was a lot of times evading slash just ducking and making plays with his yeah. feet. Offensive line, the Ole Miss offensive line needs to be better in pass protection than they have been the last two years. Yeah, four on rivals in 24-7. Yeah, composite four-star. He was the, uh, you ready? He was the number 69 player overall, regardless of position. Uh, Nice. Yeah, he masked some of their issues. Uh, He did with with pocket mobility. I feel like I... I, I white knight for Dart more than I, I. I think Dart is a good quarterback. I, I really think I, like he people is. talk about him and 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 I think I feel like people are really hard on a guy who, in his first year as a starter in the SEC, put up pretty good numbers, and it wasn't his fault that those that some of those losses happened. He put up. It's not his fault that they they couldn't stop LSU. It wasn't his fault that State was able to to control the the, the line of scrimmage against them. It wasn't his fault against Texas Tech. He put up better numbers than Spencer Sanders did in a better league at 19 yeah. after joining yes. the team in February. Yes. Uh, splitting reps all through spring, Crazy. summer, and training camp, and even into the season. Uh, he does need again. to be better with the deep ball. He, he needs better touch yes. on but, the deep ball. Uh, and this is what I always go back to. What 19? Because uh, we, we got it on the text line. Ole Miss will underachieve if Jackson Dart plays. Uh, okay, man. What quarterback is a finished product at 19? Was Matt Corral a finished product at 19 when he wasn't swinging I mean, not helmets a finished at people? product, but <laughs> Trevor Lawrence at 19 was as close as you're going to get to a finished product. Yeah, but probably. he got better. He did get better, but I mean, at 19, he was ready. He could have been drafted in the first round and been a good quarterback. Yeah. And so, one of mine, for rare. you mentioned offensive line. That's a great one. It is it? I think it's tight end. I think the tight end position might be the most underrated aspect of Ole Miss's struggles in the red zone a year ago. 
and what their ceiling versus their floor is this year. Because they went weeks last season with their only tight end being an injured Casey Kelly. A walk-on. That was the only option they had at tight end for weeks. And as we know with Lane Kiffin and how he conducts offense, tight end is vital for its success. It's almost like you were looking at my notes, Borky. Nice. Good. Great minds and and whatnot. But if Michael Trigg is... uh, if he can come anywhere close to what his ceiling is, paired with the Memphis transfer and Priest Corn, if they can be effective, then that can open up this offense a lot more than you saw a year ago. Because, again, the only tight end they had was an injured Casey Kelly. He was playing at like 50% for most of the weeks. It got to the point where they had to put Jonathan Mingo at tight end for a body. That their second-round pick wide receiver was playing tight end because they didn't have any other options. And, and I was going to kind of get to that by talking a little bit about wide receivers. Final, the, the, so the third thing for me, we had to we had to pick three. So I went defense takes a significant step forward. Um, offensive line is better, especially in pass protection and short yarded situations. And three, wide receivers are more effective, but they are more effective because the tight end position became a legitimate threat in the offense. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. Talk Mississippi. Introducing to you Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by Visit Oxford. You can find them online at visitoxfordms.com. Visitoxfordms.com is your home for everything that is going on in and around Oxford. A little bit slower time during the summer months. You don't have ball games, but you've got plenty of people coming to town. Orientations happening all over the place every week, a couple of groups a week, and uh, there is stuff that is going on. You want to keep up with what's happening? Go to the events page on the Visit Oxford website, visitoxfordms.com. Be sure to follow them as well on their social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Visit Oxford MS. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, you can be part of the conversation on the Ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. The topic is... Overachieving and underachieving in 2023 on the football field for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. I said at the beginning of this, this may be like a two- or three-day conversation. We're going to do this justice. We're going to hold Mississippi State for tomorrow because it's a long conversation to really get in. do you want to do positivity today and negativity tomorrow? And so no, 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 no. We gotta we gotta counteract the negativity with some positivity. It can't be all positive one day and all negative the next day. I mean it can. Apparently you're not familiar with my podcast. No, I'm not. What's it called? <laughs> it's called Thunder and Lightning, and it is oh, negative. I have heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. Hey, there's another podcast. Have you heard of the Rebel uh, Report. Uh yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, on the Super it's Talk a good Mississippi podcast. podcast network, you've also got uh, the Rebel Report and Sports Talk mm-hmm. Mississippi, which is available wherever you get your podcast and for free. David Please Eagle and the Eagle Hour, the Eagle Hour. Yes, yes, uh, lots yeah. of them available. So they make you proud. 
Dwayne and Brandon, have you done 100 teams in 100 days? We have not. We're going to do that in the last segment of the show today, and honestly, it's going to be brief because it's a team that's slightly less interesting than some of the ones that we get into. Nobody cares. Yes. Uh, my first one for if they underachieve, here's why. If the quarterback thing gets weird. Now, I don't, I don't think it's going to go down that way, but it certainly can. If you have another summer in training camp where reps are split, and a guy gets a start in this game, and a guy gets a start in this game, or this guy's going to play the first half of this guy game, and this guy's going to play the second half of that game, and they're going to flip, and, and all that stuff happens. The schedule this year does not allow you to do that the way it did a year ago. I, I mean, I don't even think you can get goofy with the two-lane game. I expect Ole Miss to win that game, possibly comfortably. Remember, it was Troy, and then Central Arkansas, and then Georgia Tech, and then Tulsa last year before Ole Miss jumped into league play. And that was a really bad Georgia Tech team. Fired their coach. So yeah, Ole Miss beat them to death. Yeah, it wasn't, and they just ran, just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. Um, you can't do that this year. If the quarterback thing gets weird and it doesn't get settled, you can underachieve easily. And remember, the, the mark for underachieve is six or fewer wins. We're going significant underachievement, which is a win and a half under the Vegas projected win total of seven and a half. Okay, what are your other two? Uh, defense acclimation not happening. So uh, we mentioned all these portal guys, right, and all experienced football players and all that. But Ole Miss is going to depend a lot on a lot of guys that just joined the team. What happens if uh, Uku can't be effective in the SEC? I mean, he's first-team all-sunbelt guy. Been in the college football system for four years. But what happens if they, they brought in this edge to really help and he doesn't produce? Uh, what happens if Stephon Wynn can't give you anything? What happens if all of your secondary guys can't give you anything? What happens if Deshaun Gaddy, for example, just can't quite cut it at this level? If that doesn't happen, if they either don't acclimate, because it's not just like joining a team and going to practice, right? I mean, it's you've got to get acclimated to the locker room. Hell, you got to move and get comfortable where you are and also learn a new system and also play and be effective while also your competition level increasing. So all these guys are experienced football players that have produced elsewhere. Basically, everybody they've added on defense has multiple years of experience in playing at a high level at a lesser conference. What happens if they don't acclimate well? What happens if their game doesn't translate well to the SEC? They're going to have some depth problems on defense if that's the case. And guess what happens in the SEC if you have depth problems on defense? You lose a lot. That's my number two. And your third? My third was uh, wide receivers. Wide I feel like nobody's talking about that. Uh, I feel like nobody's talking about that. Because when, aside from Jordan Watkins, who I, I tell every Ole Miss fan I talk to, you're underselling Jordan Watkins. He's he's fully healthy. He was effective when he was healthy a year ago. I think he got a nice slot player. But your other two wide receivers that you're depending on played at Louisiana Tech and UTSA last year. Now, they were very good at those places, but you've, when you play Alabama, when you play LSU, you're going to have when you play Georgia because you got to play Georgia. You've got first round picks lining up across from these guys. 
second, third round picks lining up across from these guys every single week. Can they separate? Can they get open? Can they produce against guys that they haven't seen yet? And if they can't, and you get one-dimensional, hmm. Yeah, I mean... Uh, and Aiden Williams, for example, everybody's so high on him, but he's a true freshman. Can you count on true freshmen? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they are great right away. Sometimes they're not. Yeah, last year Ole Miss had two proven SEC guys in Mingo and Heath. Mm-hmm. And and this year they, they don't have any, hardly any proven SEC guys. And and in so, terms... I mean, that it, you know the crazy thing? Those two guys combined for nine touchdown catches which is an okay number, but you'd like to see your top two receivers combine for, for more touchdown catches than that. But they were fourth and fifth in the SEC in yards per game. Malik Heath averaged just under 70 yards per game. Mingo averaged just over 67 yards per game. I, I think the combined wide receiver production for your top two receivers needs to be better than that. And, and those were two reliable, proven receivers. So my first, Ole Miss significantly underachieves if. I, I think the first group for Ole Miss is going to be pretty good this year. But this is not a unique problem when you think about Ole Miss or other teams that are not named Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Depth is an issue. And so Ole Miss underachieves if this is a year where significant injuries seem to be a commonplace thing. Because I don't know that you've got the depth to replace multiple significant injuries at key positions. Certainly not in the way that maybe the top two or three teams in the league who recruit at an absolute elite level year in, year out do. I mean, you, you think about that at the linebacker position the last couple of years. But, I mean, think, think about how good two years ago, oh, the, the transfer from Maryland. Why can I not think of his name? Chance Campbell. Chance Campbell. Thank you. Think about how important he was. And if Chance Campbell had gone out with an injury, how bad they would have been at linebacker in that year. And don't forget about Mark Robinson, too, next to him. And Mark Robinson next to him. Yeah. Good point. He was a running back at SEMO, right, before he went to Ole Miss and became a linebacker? Yeah, he was. So injuries would be kind of the first thing, and that's kind of like a not like an on-field tangible thing. You can't really control that. I, I agree at the wide receiver spot. I mean, like, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of promise with the transfers that they brought in. Is it Trey Wallace from Louisiana Tech and – the kid from UTSA. Trey, Trey Harris. Trey and Harris. Apparently they love him. I mean, yeah. just just love him. But you got to see it first. Yeah. He's yeah. got to translate. Yeah. Because we had a guy on the text line that said, like, Ontario Drummond, Jaquar Pearson, which Pearson's not the best example. He didn't catch 400 yards worth of passes. But, yes, we're not saying that it's not going to work out. But there are examples of guys moving up a level and being super effective, and there's also examples of guys moving up a level and just kind of being okay. Um, Ole Miss underachieves if they can't put pressure on the passer, on, on the opposing quarterback. It just 
Bottom line, I, I I was really kind of surprised when I looked back and saw that Ole Miss had 33 sacks last year, which was third best in the SEC behind only Arkansas and Alabama. But if you think in particular about that Arkansas game, I mean, how many times did K.J. Jefferson, was he able to just kind of sit yeah. back and wait on routes to develop down the field? Um. Or get free and run and run for a game, run for a nice game. Same with yeah. Jaden Daniels. Yeah. So you know, let's get to the quarterback and, and get him down. And if they don't do that, I, I think it could lead to a season in which they underachieve. But at the same time, if that defensive front that Borky was talking about a little while ago, with some of these new faces coming in, can create some uncomfortable situations for opposing passers, then that defense does have a chance to take a step forward like we were talking about on the overachieving side of things just a bit ago. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Are you ready? On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and always on your local Super Talk Mississippi station. We will pick up the overachieve, underachieve conversation with Mississippi State tomorrow afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. we got to get a team in so we can stay on Brian Haydad's schedule. Team number 67 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Bananas. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. All right, Borky, play the fight song. I'm not going to tell you who the team is yet. All right, there's your fight song. Let's fade that down because I want to play something. This is how you're going to know who team number 67 is in the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This is riveting. Hey, Al Nation, this is Coach Kiffin. What an exciting time. Next week is National Signing Day. As we sign some of the best players in America, we need some of the best fans in America. So please join us next week for this exciting season. Come watch the Owls have a great year in the championship run, starting with you. Go Owls. F-A-U. What? The Owls. What an electric show that guy is, I tell you. Uh, My favorite thing from his tenure there was not that video. It was when he was on Dan Patrick's show before they were going to play Oklahoma. And Dan asked what kind of chance they had. It was Ohio State or Oklahoma. Either way, one of those two. And Dan asked him if uh, he had a chance, if his team had a chance to win the game that weekend. And he goes, Dan, watch their team get off the bus and then watch my team get off the bus. And you tell me if we have a chance to win this weekend. It was at Ohio State in 2019. Ohio State won that game 45-21. Played well. Yeah. Uh, And then in week two, in week two, they lost to UCF 48-14. But they finished the year 11-3, just one loss the rest of the way. Beat UAB in the Conference USA title game. And uh, then beat SMU in the Boca Raton Bowl. Went 11-3. Last winning season, well, COVID notwithstanding, they went five and four in twenty twenty. Back to back five and seven seasons, and there is a new man in charge at FAU, and his name 
is Tom Herman. Yeah. yeah. Lost a ton of weight, did Tom Herman. Looks like a totally different person. Okay. For whatever that's worth. I saw a picture of him recently, and I was like, wait, that's Tom Herman? Leading rusher. You get away from all that brisket and ribs, it's easy. You eat seafood down there on the coast. Yeah, I mean, Tom Herman, from, from Houston to almost LSU, but ultimately Texas. Remember that? Ooh. Oh, yeah, who could forget? Ooh. And then out at Texas... And uh, on the sidelines for a couple of years, not not the actual sidelines, like sidelined from football for a couple of years, and now uh, at FAU as the head coach. He's a Mensa guy, also really smart. Maybe maybe too much so for his own good. Should take that LSU that, job. Yeah, what been a smart it, move? Wasn't he the one that like didn't give the Texas players like real practice gear? They had to earn their practice gear and. Like locked him out of the facility and a bunch of stuff like I that. I don't know about that. I know that he had the 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 urine chart, which has become a, a big thing. He might have been like the first one to do that. But anytime I hear a coach like that that does that, I immediately assume they will not win. We did that in high school. What the how to hydrate and what I, it I just, look like? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, that that is that's fine. Everybody does that. I'm saying that when a coach says you got to earn your practice jersey, I like I I just I feel like I can automatically assume. Nine times out of ten, it's it's not going to work. He was also the sender of the "Okay, cool, hook'em" text. The the very famous yeah. when the the former Ohio State assistant was trying to extort a bunch of people with information, and Tom Herman yeah. was like, "Okay, go for it, <laughs> please, yeah. by all means, expose me." And uh, we saw how that worked yeah. out. F-A-U. And we also have with Tom Herman, we, we have uh, the the famous interaction with Cole Kublik. Just a lot of lot of Tom Herman yeah. drama. What was the Cole Kublik interaction? Where Cole Kublik, he was coaching at Houston, and Cole Kublik basically asked him, like, are you taking the LSU job or taking the Texas job? He was like, no. Cole's like, are you sure? <laughs> oh, so. that was... that. Ooh, did, did that crew, like, do a... They did the Friday game in Memphis that year? Something like that, yeah. I forgot. Maybe it was the conference... Or, was it Conference USA at the time? I don't remember where Houston was, but, but they were the championship game. I don't remember. Yeah. FAU, one of those teams that's got a, a new home this year. They are now in the American Athletic Conference. So they will move into yeah. American play. They start with Monmouth and Ohio. Then Price of Poker goes up in week three as they make a road trip to Clemson. Then they make a stop in Big Ten country at Illinois before jumping into American Conference play. Tulsa, UTSA, East Carolina, and Tulane at home. They go on the road to South Florida, to Charlotte, to UAB, and to Rice. Leading rusher returns this year, Larry McCammon. Went for over 1,000 yards last season. Um, they got to find a new quarterback, though. Nikosi Perry is gone. So is Willie Taggart, Jr. All right, Tom Herman's a good coach. They, they, they might win some games. Yeah. That's it. Team number 67 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. The FAU Owls headed to the American Athletic Conference. For Brian Haydad and Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Have a great night.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production.